One of the marks of Bible inspiration is the way it depicts its characters. We see the good and the bad qualities of great men revealed in a manner that uninspired men would not employ. They would have a great tendency to gloss over the frailties and the shortcomings and the sins of some of these great men, like David, the man after God's own heart, as he is called in Scripture, and yet the Scripture does not gloss over the, the sins that David committed. Throughout Scripture we see objectivity, and therefore we're able to learn some great lessons from studying the lives of these men as the Bible reveals those lives to us. And such is the case with Solomon, a man who began so well, and yet in his old age ended badly, and from whose life we may glean many, many valuable lessons. And so this morning we're going to conduct a brief examination of Solomon's life from his first wish to his final words. If you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, you will have before you the text that will provide the background of our study. As we begin first with Solomon's wish, and oh, what a worthy wish it was. In 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, at verses 5 through 9. We read that at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon responded this way. He said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? What a wish. What a beautiful spirit is revealed here in the early days of Solomon. His wish was in harmony with the final charge that had been given to him by David his father. You may remember that David had admonished his son Solomon to walk in the ways of the Lord. I love this passage from First Chronicles 28 and verse 9, where David, near the end of his life, said this to his son, And as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. 
That's a great passage. Know the God of your father. Then serve him. But serve him how? Serve him with a loyal heart. Serve him with a willing mind. The Lord knows the heart. And the Lord is seeking those to serve him whose hearts are filled to overflowing with love and gratitude for the one who has done so much for mankind. Solomon's wish to be granted wisdom and understanding was in harmony also with his humility. Genuine humility is exhibited in these verses we have read from 1 Kings 3. And there's a recognition here clearly of his total dependence upon God. He understood that he needed God. And his wish here grew out of his desire to walk with God as his father David had done. Then we come to the wisdom. As we continue to read in 1 Kings chapter 3 beginning at verse 10 where the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And then he goes on. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, if you walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God granted Solomon the wisdom for which he had asked. In fact, wisdom that exceeded that of all other men. Perhaps the most familiar demonstration of that wisdom is seen in this same third chapter of 1 Kings. When you go down to verses 16 through 28, you remember the two women who were harlots who came to Solomon and stood before him. Both of them had given birth to a child three days apart, but one of them had lain upon her child during the night and had suffocated him. The child was dead. She switched out the child with the mother who still had the living child and put the dead child in her bed, and they both came before the king for a solution. And you remember what he did. He said, bring me a sword. And he said, divide the child in half and give one half to one mother and one to the other. And you remember the mother who was truly the mother said no. Let her have the child. Give her the living child. And Solomon said, no, you give this one the child because this is obviously the mother, the mother who wanted to save her child. That's perhaps the clearest and most familiar demonstration of of the extreme wisdom of Solomon that we have. And that demonstration resulted in the respect of the people for their king. And they realized that God had blessed him richly with understanding. But God also gave Solomon great material wealth, as we have already read from 1 Kings 3, 10 through 14. He granted him his wish for wisdom, but he gave him wealth as well. 
He promised Solomon prosperity, but it was conditional. Remember verse 14 again. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Wealth, riches, can be handled properly if the wealthy exercise true wisdom from God. Solomon had both wisdom from God and he had wealth from God. But he had to use it. He had to use the wisdom to handle the wealth. Abraham was a wealthy man, nothing wrong with that, and he handled it well, did he not? Job had great material blessings. And yes, all of those material blessings were taken from him for a time, but they were restored many times over after his ordeal and after he came through faithful to God. You remember what the Apostle John wrote to a man named Gaius in 3 John 3, verse 2? Beloved, he said, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. 3 John 2, rather. That you may prosper in all things and be in health. But listen to it. Just as your soul prospers. That's important, isn't it? That you may prosper and be in health. 3 John verse 2. But then this caveat. Just as your soul prospers. And so the material blessing barometer, if you will, the barometer as to how much material blessing we can handle is our spiritual prosperity. If it is, as we have just sung this morning, truly well with our souls, if it is well with our souls, then we can use material blessings properly. I dare say that probably everyone here may be able to think of someone in the Lord's kingdom who has been blessed with material wealth. Now, let me insert something here. We're all wealthy by comparison to, or by contrast to most people in the world. Everyone in this room is wealthy by that contrast. But you know what I'm talking about when I talk about extreme wealth. We may all know someone who has used those material blessings properly. I think of the late A.M. Burton, life and casualty insurance out of Nashville, whose wealth, if I remember correctly, basically financed the work of the late Marshall Keeble and led to untold conversions to Christ as a result of his using his material blessings in that way. But wealth without wisdom from above is the undoing of man and has been the undoing of man many times over. The extent of Solomon's wealth is seen in 1 Kings. We go back to 1 Kings and look at chapter 10 and verse 21. The verse says, All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Silver was nothing. Silver was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. All the vessels were of pure gold. 
Now we need to compare this passage to an earlier warning from God through Moses back in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17. And this was in reference to the time when the Lord knew there were going to be people, his people, clamoring for a king, wanting to be like the nations round about them. And indeed they did make that request. But in Deuteronomy 17, 17, concerning that time when it came, God said this through Moses, Neither shall he, the king at that time, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Then, he said, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Well, when we come down to the time of Solomon, it sounds like the gold is multiplying pretty fast, doesn't it? And the silver is counted as nothing. But when we look at that passage again concerning the multiplying of wives in Deuteronomy 17, 17, that leads us to our next vital point about Solomon, his wives, plural, many times plural, 700 of them and 300 concubines. If you go over to 1 Kings chapter 11 and look at the first 13 <clears throat> verses, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon, listen to this, when he was not a young man, foolish, immature. No, it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for my sake the Jerusalem which I have chosen. And, of course, that came to pass with the division of the kingdom 
when Solomon died and Rehoboam, you remember, asked for the advice of the young men and the old men after the request had been made to lighten up on us a little bit, lighten our burden. And he consulted with the young men and they said, make it even harder. The old men said, listen to him and lighten it. He listened to the young men. He increased the burden and the division of the kingdom occurred. And Rehoboam became king over the southern kingdom while Jeroboam I was the first king of the northern kingdom. That's the very thing about which the Lord speaks here when he says, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you, not in your days for the sake of your father, but after you're gone. Twice he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. And why did he do it? Because of his wives. Go back with me to Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3, and see a warning there. God through Moses says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Let's stop right there and ask why. Because their iniquity was full. God had given them more than ample time to come to know him. But then he adds, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Now, here again, the prohibition of Deuteronomy 17, 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Solomon violated the divine directive against multiplying wives. And as a result of that, his wives became the conduits through which worldliness overcame this one who had once been the darling or the beloved of the Lord. What a tragedy. But let's ask this. How many souls through the ages have been led away from God by their spouses? How many more will leave the faith through that same influence before the Lord comes again? And what all of it shows us is the tremendous power of influence that we all possess over those who are closest to us. Therefore, let us make sure we're using that influence for good and for God. And let us make sure that we are teaching our young people to seek partners in life who will help them get to heaven and not take them to hell. Because it's a tragedy beyond description. And finally, Solomon's words. Solomon, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given the world marvelous truths. How many of them? Well, it would require hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons to begin to exhaust this depository of wisdom from Solomon. Tragically, 
His last words were written from the perspective of one who ceased his walk with God and then learned by bitter experience that all is vanity under the sun. All the wealth and all the wine and all the women, all of that is vanity under the sun. A man by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter expressed it this way, Quote, is there in all history a more thought-provoking irony than this, that the wisest of all men became the greatest of fools, that the man who had wealth and fame and pleasure above all others should write at the end, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then Baxter says, let us read, mark, hear, and inwardly digest. Let's learn from Solomon. Well, who better to conclude this sermon on the life of Solomon than the man himself? And here it is from his inspired pen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. But you know, the beauty of it is that any sin and every sin of which we truly repent will not be brought into judgment. The secret things, the public things, all of those transgressions against the God of heaven are blotted forevermore from his book of remembrance for those who have come to God through Jesus Christ in obedience to the gospel. And for those who have done so and who are continuing to live the Christian life faithfully, those sins are continually blotted out as they are confessed regularly to the throne of heaven and as we keep up our walk in the light, as God is in the light. Oh, what a joy. What a peace that produces. The knowledge of forgiveness. You can have that joy and that peace if you don't already possess it. And if you do possess it because you're a Christian this morning and you're living the Christian life to the fullest extent of your ability and walking in the light as God is in the light, then don't ever, don't ever, in young age or old, turn your back upon God's holy commandment and sacrifice that unspeakable joy and that peace that surpasses all understanding. But if you haven't yet experienced it, you can by a belief in Jesus as the Christ that leads you to repent of your sins and to confess him sweetly as the Christ and then to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. He who believes and is baptized, Jesus said, will be saved. But if you have done those things, but you know this morning that you, as Solomon did, at whatever age you may be, you have not continued to walk with the Lord. And that something or someone has led you astray, has caused you to stray from the way that leads to eternal life. You can come back into that way through a genuine repentance 
and a public confession of sin that is public. Unfaithfulness to the Lord. Sin that has been committed to bring reproach upon the church needs to be confessed in that same way that your sins may be forgiven and your example may be restored so that you can truly sing with conviction, it is well with my soul. As we stand to sing, will you come?